mate. I've been, I've spent the last three days drinking 170 beers. I haven't even opened my emails yet. Thanks to Kaya Malt, a grain of truth in every good beer week. This is still Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me today is the founding editor of Australian Brews News, Australia's leading source of beer news, views and opinions. It's Matt Kierkegaard. And joining us this week in the co-host special guest chair is a full-time craft beer enthusiast whose side hobbies include writing about beer, uh, for which we should point out she won the very first champion New South Wales Beer Writer Award in 2016, um, and her other hobby is completing her PhD in experimental quantum physics, because why not? Uh, she also writes for her own platform, New South Ales and The Crafty Pint. It's a pleasure to welcome Murray Claire Jarrett. G'day, MC. G'day. Thanks for having me. So Matt and I being gentlemen, normally I would uh, introduce Matt and then um, and then our guest, but We'll introduce you first. And g'day, Matt. G'day, Prof. And uh, welcome, MC. And uh, I should say that uh, MC is the way that you are. You, you prefer to be known rather than Murray Claire. Is that right? It's just a bit faster. Yeah, I think <laughs> that we we're going to waste a lot of time calling me Murray Claire all the time. But uh, we're always going to mention at least once for, once for mum's sake. No, exactly. And that that'll <laughs> MCing it will uh, will certainly help us keep this podcast uh, somewhere <laughs> exactly. within sight of half an hour. Tell us a bit about yourself. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, as uh, Prof introduced me, I am a hobby craft beer writer. I spent a little bit of time, once upon a time, working in a brewery for two hours in the morning. Um, but other than that, yeah, I just, I'm just pretty much an observer. Uh, I got into it because uh, I used to live in Sydney's North Shore, uh, which is very different to the northern beaches. I have to point that out. Uh, <laughs> there's lots of good breweries there on the northern beaches, Modus, Nomad. Uh, the North Shore has absolutely no breweries. Uh, the closest one is Flat Rock in Willoughby. So I was living kind of in this craft beer wasteland, and then I moved to the Inner West, which people are touting now as the craft beer capital of Australia, and all of a sudden was inundated with all this great craft beer. And I thought there's, there's some way I need to keep track of everything that I'm learning and everything that I'm experiencing. And I thought I'd start my own blog. And then it just kind of grew from there. But I, I, I'm just intrigued by the fact that you are, that you've got a, you're, you're completing your PhD in experimental quantum physics, which, <laughs> you know, a lot of people say beer isn't rocket science, but you, you are indeed engaged in, uh, you know, quantum physics which uh, is about the same thing <laughs> uh it's it's i suppose uh, oh, no it's, well it's not, not the same thing but in terms of complexity and being inaccessible to the average person oh yeah i think it is definitely something that confuses everyone including myself there's a there's a great quote by a quantum physicist that says that if you're not confused by quantum physics then you haven't understood it so I think everyone is always confused. Uh, it sounds very fancy, but I mean, for someone, I've been doing science and physics for since high school. So to me, it just seemed kind of like the natural and interesting path to just keep going down, I guess. But there's a difference between completing a PhD and you know, a little bit of high school physics, particularly in the, <laughs> in, in the experimental so. range. It's funny, actually. The experimental experimental physics has a lot in common with brewing, in fact, and particularly what I do. So I noticed when I went and had a look at the kind of stuff that's in a brewery, there's a lot of similarities. There's gas bottles, there's lines you have to connect and disconnect. <laughs> it's very, it's actually quite a 
real science, you know, always looking at n gauges, twiddling knobs. It's quite similar, actually. So I, I think there's a nice little uh, similarity between the two. Breweries t also tend to have at least one person who thinks they know everything. So I guess that's, you know, <laughs> similar to quantum physics. A lot of what we're going to be talking about today is about the great beer divide um, in, in, in the beer industry. And uh, physics has its own uh, great divide. Do you think we'll ever find the, the, unif the grand unifying theory of beer? It's a very good question. I'm sure it's out there. Uh, maybe we just need to find the, the god particle of beer, uh, whatever that might be. Some magic hop, perhaps, and then maybe we'll find and I'm sure, something. I'm sure there's a brewery out there that's, you know, got a beer on the drawing board called, you know, the Hadron Collider IPA or something like that. And so, you know, that'll just sort of, I would, you know. I would buy thousands of those. Someone should definitely. <laughs> have, have, have you been to CERN? And uh, is that part of um, experimental quantum physics uh, and, your, and your role in it? It's more similar to particle physics, which is a very, it, I know that sounds like the exact same thing, but they are different things. Um, no, I haven't been to CERN. Uh, I would like to go. I actually have a friend of mine who was, was a quantum physicist and he's moved to Europe and is visiting CERN. Uh, I'm very jealous of that. I think it would be very cool. But I've watched, I mean, so many documentaries on it. It just looks like an amazing place. It's kind of like the equivalent of, uh, I don't know, a very fancy brewery. One of a bucket list brewery like Cantillon or Stone or something like that. No, oh, don't start Matt on Stone. Hey, listen, Matt, we could, <laughs> we, could, we could we could head down a very very intricate rabbit hole um, in terms of getting into quantum physics. And apart from uh, probably titillating all the microbiologist uh, brewers who are listening, um, we'll probably <laughs> bore the pants off the rest of them. So um, we might move on with um, the news of the week. And the biggest one, of course, yeah, was the uh, yeah the XI. So. So Matt, the, the, the key for me was that it was kind of touted as, you know, this is something that's going to, in essence, make beer cheaper at the at the pump, um, which of course we know is not necessarily going to be true. The, the brewers may pass on uh, any savings or excise relief that they get, but there's no guarantee that the distributor and then the retailer at the end or the bottle shop or the bar um, is going to say, well, that's good, I'll, I'll pass that on as, as well. So there, there are those considerations, but it's also... Um, brewers haven't been putting beer into 30 litre kegs or 20 litre kegs or 10 litre kegs um, because it, it hasn't been economically viable. So there hasn't been, there's not going to be any saving by them putting it into that. Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess it's been sold as um, the brewers, you know, the, the craft beer tax. And excise isn't a tax on brewers, it's a tax on beer consumption. So effectively, craft brewers or all brewers collect the tax and then remit it to government it's a little bit like gst you know it, it, it's levied on yeah. the consumer um now if by giving back a hundred you know up to a hundred thousand dollars um that stayed instead in of, business instead of up to 30 yeah instead of up to 30 but you know one of the things that i really struggle with is brewers that say there's a hundred thousand dollars that i'm gonna have to invest in my business um because Water finds its own level, um, in and and, and businesses find their own level of profitability. And if if suddenly breweries are a hundred thousand dollars more profitable, um, because they get tax back, you know there, there is going to be competitive pressures on where that money goes. And we already see a lot of pressure in the market, uh, you know, um, around price. And you know, if, if breweries are able to lower their price a little bit, um. With that hundred thousand dollars, some of them are going to do that, and if one or two do them, 
every other brewery then has to think about what they're going to do and you know how they're going to invest that money. And I actually thought Capital Brewing had a really great idea. You know, they said when you spread that money out over our entire production, it's you know cents um, per stubby. But what we're going to do is we're going to invest that hundred thousand dollars in the community. Um, and, and effectively invested in marketing, which I thought was a really good idea. Um, but if you know suddenly breweries are $100,000 more profitable, um, as Richard Watkins said, we may suddenly see a whole lot of people going, shit, there's money to be made in that craft brewing thing, as if there weren't enough already, and uh, suddenly start opening breweries. It's like the market with cowboys. And the other thing too, of course, we should point out is is that um, you know this doesn't preclude uh, CUB or AB InBev or uh, any of the other big breweries from now putting their beer into 30 litre kegs as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was the thing that really, uh, that I'd not considered, you know, from a workplace health and safety basis, it's a fantastic result. Um, there's also, people had said in the past that, it, you know, it's very discriminatory um, having, you know, when a lot of bars are run by uh, women and staffed by women, that it's a it, it's hard for blokes to lift. Um, and so that it's, it's great um, in, in that sense. Um, yeah, well, we're talking just for the for the listeners. You know, around about sixty five kilos um, is a, a full fifty liter keg. Well, when you're slinging them around, um, I mean, God, I, I have to go into physio after every time we do the the exhibition or we do any pop ups because it's a it's a hefty uh, thing to carry. Murray Clay, you yeah. said that you'd worked in um, breweries before. Have you ever had to you know, move around kegs? What's your experience been? Yeah, I, I did. Uh, thankfully, only on a pallet with a pallet lifter, so I never really had to an empty kegs to put them on the pallet. I never had to deal with uh, a full keg. But yeah, I absolutely agree that I think from an, from an OHS point of view, it's really good uh, idea. I mean, I went to, for instance, bit a few yesterday. That's a bar that's upstairs, and they have a very kind of small bar there. And just seeing the kegs at the bottom of the stairs and the kegs <laughs> yes. at the top of the stairs and the poor poor bar guys that have to carry those up and down the stairs, a heavy keg up the stairs and then a light keg back down. And also the room that they just have. I think a 30-litre keg is going to make such a difference at a place like that. And the other thing too from a hospitality point of view, and I'm sure these sentiments will be echoed by other um, bar owners, um, the ability to, to perhaps take a chance on a, a beer that might not necessarily be you know a really quick seller um, and if you're having a, a one-off a beer dinner or a special event a good beer week uh, event tap takeover something like that um, you know a big double IPA is perhaps not something that your regular customers are going to um, be calling for and you're not you don't want to take a chance on a 50 litre keg but you might say you know what if I can get a 30 litre keg now it makes it a, a viable option so I think that's that that bodes well for for those sort of brewers and it also brings into focus the the fact that some brewers, you know, it may be a little bit more difficult because now they've got to carry uh, different size kegs. Uh, but for some brewers, that that's actually going to work to their advantage to be able to offer their their customers, um, you know, a bit more flexibility. That's a really good point, Prof. We are going to see a whole lot of flexibility, and at the moment, you see, you know, venues that do a you know ten tap takeover with one brewery, and you know, at the end of the weekend. Um, if, if all of those, particularly the bigger beers, haven't turned over, they either need to keep them on um, or, you know, a, a lot of them take them off, put them in the fridge, you know, pull them out, you know, maybe a month later when, you know, which, which isn't great for beer. If you've got the ability to do a tap takeover and have, because it comes down to eight litre kegs, so it's not even 30 litre kegs. If you, you, if you want to put a 10 or a 15 litre keg on of 20 different beers over the weekend and create a real excitement, there's going to be a whole lot of benefits um, that come from that. And also venues that normally don't turn over a lot of beer, 
can now look at getting keg beer in that uh, extends the range that that beer can cover. Um, So that's really exciting. I guess the flip side is, and a lot of people have, and brewers particularly have commented, oh, the the big guys aren't going to be interested in, you know, going into that smaller size. And I think the experience overseas is that that's not the case. 50-litre kegs seem to be a bit of an anomaly for Australia that has been locked in by this tax change. Um, A lot of breweries internationally... Um, and big breweries put their beer into smaller kegs. Um, but the other thing is one-way kegs have generally been much smaller than the 50-litre, and that was something that I'd not considered, that suddenly uh, there's been this artificial tariff on imported beers because if they, they needed to put it specially into 50-litre kegs, which a lot of them weren't prepared to do, but now there are going to be one-way kegs that can come in at a much cheaper price. Um, so, you know, as with any tax change, a lot of people think if we change, make this change, here are the predictable results. I think we're going to find over the next, you know, well, it doesn't kick in until the 1st of July next year, I think. Um, so we've got time to prepare for it. But I think the 12 months after that change, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what unintended, unintended and unexpected consequences come from that as you know, people you know, use their initiative to, uh, to, to, to benefit from, from the change. That's something I'm particularly worried about is that the, the foreign market's going to see that there's a real opening to bring in their one-way 30-litre kegs uh, and spaces that might usually have gone to local brewers uh, are now going to go to these foreign brewers. And you're right in that this... this extra 70k a year i mean how how are people going to spend that are they going to try and spend it on buying kegs to become competitive with those foreign imports or you know it's just going to be really interesting to see how how people are going to tackle exactly these unintended consequences and in terms of uh, brewers having to invest in new kegs these days you don't have to you've got businesses like uh kegstar who you know if you've got a fleet of 50 litre kegs and you want to keep you know the, the bulk of your beer in 50 litre kegs that's fine but if you do want to send some beers down a good beer week or if you want to, you know, um, you've got some smaller customers who want smaller kegs, you can just hire the kegs that you need to service that market. So, you know, I, look, I don't think there's too much barrier to any brewers to invest in smaller kegs. It'll just be interesting to see how, how the, the, the market plays out. Some brewers, of course, Matt and MC, may choose to spend part of that $70,000 extra that they'll have per year on uh, getting their labels and cans reprinted to incorporate the new IBA uh, certified independent seal. MC, you were uh, you were a bit vocal about this uh, in, in some forums this week. <laughs> what, what, what do you think? You know, again, as somebody who's primarily outside of the industry but is an enthusiastic uh, you know, uh, observer, what do you think about the label? I mean, purely from an aesthetic point of view, I think it's not very good. Uh, I don't know what about it that really irks me uh, about how it looks. I just don't really like how it looks. It seems to me that it's going to be printed on so many bottles by so many breweries that have spent thousands of dollars on graphic design. And it looks a bit lazy uh, in terms of the actual design. And then the other problem I have with it is that it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, it's just, it's a bit generic, I think. Um, One of the examples that I was talking about online was kind of like this free trade chocolate thing. And I know someone said apples and oranges. Sure, yes, it's it's very different. But the point I was trying to make was that if you see Rainforest Alliance or 
certified organic or something like that, you can just go on Google and you can Google that and you'll find the uh, body responsible for certifying that uh, particular product. Whereas here, if you Google certified independent, that kind of doesn't really mean anything. If you, if you go and Google that now, you'll see that you just get some really random non-beer-related results. I think it, the, the thing that I would particularly like to see, if I could just change one thing about it, would be to have the governing body on that. So something that says Independent Brewers Association or Independently Brewed or just something. So I know that if I pick up a beer with that on it, I know exactly where to look to see who is certified that it is independent. And yeah, look, and, and I understand the point. So there's been a lot of discussion around that, and I think uh, a lot of the response to that was they needed something that was bold and stood out. Um, and there's only so much fine print you can put in something that's going to be used in a fairly small size um, on, on everything else. And it's a really hard um, design challenge to 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 do. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I don't know. Um, that there is much else that they could do in terms of graphic design. It's certainly a thousand percent better than the, the Brewers Association in, in, in the US, I think. Well, yes, that I absolutely agree with. <laughs> That's true. I think, too, it's probably fair to point out from a graphics point of view that um, people have complained that it's clunky, it's too masculine, it's blokey, whatever. But I, I think we you can't look at the seal in isolation because it's, it's not meant to be looked at as, as a, you know, as a mm. poster. It's it's meant to pop out on a on a can next to you know the standard drinks um, contained uh, you know don't drink pregnant women blah 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 all that sort of thing so in that respect I think we've got to wait until we actually see it um, I guess in situ uh, to see whether or not it's that they've nailed it yeah and I think a lot of people are looking to put too much um, into what the label is I mean it, it it's not a badge of quality it's not a badge of Anything other than, um, you know, people complain about not knowing who owns their brewery. Um, and it's, if, if it, a lot of people actually don't care about it, but this is one way that um, it's going to be, we're going to be able to find whether consumers actually do care about um, independence, uh, you know, and if, if, it, if it's adopted and it's there and people come to understand what it means. Um, you know, I, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see whether people do shift their purchasing decisions. A lot of people point to the, um, you know, the, the beer cartel, uh, our good friends at Beer Cartel who uh, sponsor our letter of the week, um, to, to their survey and, you know, about the number of people that report saying that independence matters. I actually think, you know, I, I don't put too much weight, as, as good a marketing effort as that survey is, it was a survey of people who are deeply enmeshed in craft beer and really skews. So it's not the broader um, market. It is people who are vested enough in beer to do a a beer resell, uh, you know, a craft beer retailers survey. So, you know, when they say like ninety percent or eighty-seven percent um, effect, I don't think that you know that translates into the broader community. But by putting this on the bottle, we're going to have the opportunity to see whether consumers actually do care about independence. Um, and as for the MC's other comments, I think that's up to the Independent Brewers Association to get out and communicate what it means. Um, and that's going to be a growing uh, you know, project, just like things like fair trade. Um, people didn't immediately know what fair trade coffee was. Yeah, that's true. And I think, as I suppose I should say, firstly, I couldn't design anything any better, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think whoever designed it, 
they I think what's going to happen is it gets the message across. It's very clear. You're right in that it, it can't be too much small print. It can't be, you know, too detailed. It does what it does. It says the beer is independent. And I think it is going to be really interesting to see if people care or not because uh, someone, someone also commented that uh, you have to step outside the craft beer bubble to see, as you said, uh, whether it's going to be effective. And I got a range of responses. I asked a few people few of my friends on Friday and some people ranged from yes I can obviously tell that's independent and I think I want to support that to people that said look it's going to make no difference as to whether I pick that beer or not so uh, yeah and I think it's going to be it gets the point across and I think I would really like to see some very uh, detailed statistics on whether it influences people's buying decisions. I really come back to you know some of the discussions that we had on Twitter this week, where people sort of say, "Well, you can't taste independence and things like that," and absolutely you can't. It's not a it's not a mark of quality. But if independence doesn't matter, and if brand provenance and brand story doesn't matter, why do big breweries spend so much money on marketing? Um, you know. Even now, you, mm. you can look at Matilda Bay and they still tell this story about a couple of blokes from, you know, Western Australia <laughs> who created it. And it's, that story has been so wrong for so long, but they still tell the story because they know that people have an emotional response to beer. So the Brewers Association can come out and say uh, beer drinkers just care about price and quality, but you don't see brewers advertising price and quality. You see them advertising, we are, you know, the beer of state of origin, or we are, you know, the beer from up here, or we are X. And independence is just one of those things that, if 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 that is your selling point, or you can make that that your selling point, I think people will put it on 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 their bottle, um, and it could be a very powerful statement. Um, and, and the only other thing, you know, to sort of balance that conversation out, if independence and provenance and story don't matter. There are a lot of small independent brewers that don't want to say that their beer comes out of um, Asahi at Laverton because they're worried that that's going to hurt their brand. Um, and, you know, Mountain Goat was one of those breweries. So, you know, it, it, we, we will find out if ultimately it does matter, but a lot of people by their behaviour, a lot of brewers, a lot of people in the industry are showing that these things do matter just by the things that they do tell about themselves and the things that they don't tell about themselves. Yep, yep, definitely. All right. Uh, Sorry, shall we move on to our... sleep? It sounds like you yeah, just woke up. No, not at all. Nap. Not at all. No, no, no. <laughs> I was just waiting. I was just, you know, being polite. Right, waiting well, waiting, waiting, waiting a, for me to get off my horse. A response from our guest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In a garden. What a garden. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. World Beer Cup, Nashville, Tennessee, um, run and won now, and um, three Australian breweries, so up on the two from last year, receiving uh, medals. And we should point out, for those who don't or who are not aware, that um, the World Beer Cup hands out one gold, one silver, and one bronze per category. So in the category, say, of, you know, uh, fruit, sour beers, uh, there might be a, you know, uh, one in 50 chance, perhaps, or one in 30 chance of, of winning a 
a medal. Uh, but when you get to the more popular styles like the IPAs and the pale ales, there might be uh, 500 beers uh, that, you're, that you're competing against. And um, Nail Brewing, I think for their VPA, got a silver and a bronze for a Red Nut from Ben Spoke in Canberra and a gold again for uh, Malt Travel Brewery for James Squire for the um, Jack of Spades Porter. If you needed proof that independence doesn't guarantee quality, um, you know, there, there you have it. Um, so, you know, like I was really excited to see James Squire get up and win uh, for, for their porter, um, as well as for Nail. Um, VPA has just been kicking goals for Nail, which is really exciting. And Bent spoke there, you know, um, the all of the indicia that they are a quality brewery is, uh, you know, again, being highlighted by that. I guess the thing for for me that this showed the response on um, social media to to the awards that you know people you know going oh you know why didn't more Australian breweries win medals and you know there was one guy in particular that just really riled me and I sort of couldn't help myself you know he's going oh not enough breweries um, entered. And I'm just going, mate, it was a record number of entries. You can't, you know, just because you sit in your little craft beer bubble loving your favourite um, beers and thinking that they are the best breweries in the world, that's not necessarily true. But really, really exciting uh, for, for the breweries. MC, what do you think? I think it's fantastic. I think it's really good to see Australia compete on something like that on the world stage. I think it's really good for our beer here and the image overseas of the beer here and I think it doesn't to me it doesn't matter whether uh, it was won by a, an indie or a not an indie I think it's great just for, as the image of beer here but then again it is also really good to see that independent breweries are you know as you said really showing that they they are good, really good quality regarding what that guy said it was my understanding that it's actually quite hard to get beer to be judged there because of the freshness issue in transporting uh, the the keg of beer over is that right? Yeah, hundred percent. In any beer awards, there's always a, a home ground advantage. So um, it, it wasn't surprising that that um, say for example in the what's now the Indies last year um, that South Australian breweries uh, were able to get their beers to the to the judging um, sort of at, at the last minute, uh, whereas others who need to you know send it from overseas or well, it's Australian, but yeah, you know, so from other corners of the of the country. Um, are at a, a little bit of a disadvantage. And certainly when you're sending beer from Australia to Nashville, Tennessee, um, you, you do have your fingers crossed that your beer is going to get there, A, on time, um, but B, yeah, in the in the condition that you would hope it would be. So some of those beers may actually have done even better um, had they been, you know, say, judged more locally. And it, 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 it's a, that's a good point, Prof. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, like a porter, which is a style that can probably handle a little bit of age, um, a, a little bit better than a very vibrant hop-driven beer um, might. But, you know, I believe that the, the beers were all sent to a consolidation point in Sydney and then reefed over, is my understanding. I, I hope I'm correct yeah. in, in, in saying yeah. that. So, But look, I mean, that in itself highlights that the guys who sit over here and you know, buy an imported beer that they don't know how long it's been kicking around. They don't know what condition, you know, what conditions it's gone through to get into their hand and then diss it on social media. And they, when you ask them about it, they all say, look, I know I'm not getting it in prime condition, but you don't know just how much it's changed during that time. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the reverse is true. Um, so, yeah, look, at, you know, I think it's really simplistic for guys to sit there and say, 
I love Australian beer. It should have done better. You know, there's a problem, and there's a there's a lack of credibility with these awards because James Sky won when my favourite brewery, you know, didn't. Yeah, and and the other thing too is you're talking about um, you know six thousand entries from from around the world, um, and you put that into perspective when you look at the uh, Australian International Beer Awards, which were just judged the last three days, um, two, uh, record number 2,046 entries from, I think, 33 countries and you know 100-odd breweries around the world, 300 breweries, I think. Um, but it's, it's, it's so much more, um, you know, the, the World Beer Cup every second year uh, is, is much, much more. So it's, it's a lot harder to, you know, even just to present well. That's the thing to to win any any medal at the World Beer Cup because it's it's not a you know a benchmarking exercise where if you get above a certain number of points you get gold. There is only one gold, one silver, one bronze, as you said, Prof. And to mm. win it in some of those uh, categories is just phenomenal. So congratulations to those guys. The the, the one thing just to uh, to tail off it, the one thing that I'm going to be really interested to see, Prof, is a, a lot of people see James Squire as being an entry level. Um, beer maker and they do have you know a cluster of you know light golden ale um categories that if, if Styles, you gave them, yeah yeah and, and and if you gave them to me in a pub and didn't tell me whether it was chancer or you know um the oh, i can't even remember all their names but you know i would probably have a hard time picking between some of them um if if, if, I, if I didn't know um and some of you know the, the, the porter the, the pilsner which won in 2008 um 2008 yeah and, uh, you know, some of those beers are more challenging for, for, for that. And, uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see because I haven't seen a lot of fuss uh, made by James Squire uh, about these beers. And, and you know, you've been hearing for some time um, that maybe that's not their focus um, of the beer. So it'd be really interesting to see that when they are making beers that good um, and they can make some of the best versions of those styles in the world, whether they won't put more uh, effort behind them. Because it gives them a lot of credibility um, that they can have the popular styles, but then really nail those, uh, you know, more, for for want of a better term, more serious uh, beer styles, or more challenging beer styles. Interesting one on that. Just uh, as I say, I've just finished three days of of judging um, at the Australian International Beer Awards, and uh, speaking to Justin Fox from uh, from Bintani, and he showed me uh, a photo. So we we're doing the the first. Two and a half days are uh, getting through the the, the two thousand odd beers, and then the afternoon is getting all of the the best of the best, and then working out which is the best of the best of the best. So all the the gold medals from each category uh, are then put into trophy rounds um, to determine the the best in each each category, and then the nineteen beers that are trophy worthy then get spread out on the table um, to be judged again to just pick out okay which are the the best of the best of the best, and uh, the photo that uh, that Foxy showed me was um, from two years ago. Uh, the I think it was 18, 17 or eighteen beers um, in in each of the categories, and compared that to the the beers on the, in on the table in front of us. The beers this year, without giving anything away, but much lighter um, at, at the front end compared to um, lots lots more colours uh, two years ago. So. Out, we talk about our, our changing tastes, and I think those lighter, approachable sort of you know styles are, are certainly um, there are more of them, and they're uh, experiencing more popularity. That's something that we've talked about for a while, Prof. And I remember, like about eighteen months ago, you know, somebody sort of weighed in and uh, told us that you know because 
that person was you know well into the the big bold beefy beers and we'd made the comment that you know you do see a bit of an arc that that didn't apply to the market but you know that the market is showing that those those lighter beers are where a lot of the gravity um around the beer market is forming have you noticed that mc do you yeah. see that people in your circle who are obviously you know we, we all travel in our own little beer bubble but do you find that your friends are still uh, at the, the the bold challenging end or that there is a little bit of a regression towards the mean no i think there's definitely been been quite a change well yeah i mean i think it's very well evidenced kind of by this whole new england wave that came through uh that kind of seemed to me like there was a very i'm not, I'm not quite sure what the right word is but it, it really showed that there was a shift in people's kind of uh, desire for these really strong and heavy beers to something that's going a bit, yeah, lighter. And I think a lot of breweries are producing that. And, I mean, that's going to change in another five years as well probably. And that's something that I really like about the beer industry is that just it's always changing. And, you know, you can never get bored with what's on offer and what breweries are making because people just come up with great ideas. It, it grains traction and then you just have a whole new area of beer to explore and that's probably one of my favorite things about the whole industry do you think that for all of the excitement that the new england ipa has created that that lack of bitterness um may actually be bringing people generally back to lighter style beers so whilst it's a really hyped exciting style it is actually facilitating a a move away from you know, the big, bold IPAs and bringing people back to some of these, you know, dare I say, gateway beers? I'm not, I'm not sure if the New England IPA is the facilitator of that. I just think it's indicative of, of the response that those kind of lighter styles of beers are getting. Personally, I think it's the these breweries being a bit more experimental with lagers, actually, which I haven't really – well, I, again, I'm just stuck in a little bit of an inner west bubble here, but a lot of breweries in the past one or two years have been starting to come out with lagers, which I know are a bit trickier to brew than, than ales. Um, and I think, actually, if I were to pick a beer that I think is facilitating that movement, I think that. Um, but I think the New England IPA is just a, just showing that is another example of a lighter beer that people that's that people are enjoying and that's really gaining traction. Mm, maybe I'd always put the wrong spin on it, but uh, I, I take from that that um, if I was going to be uncharitable, I'd say well that that makes the New England IPA the cool kid. It, 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 it's a way of taking something unchallenging and making it seem cooler than it really is. The other interesting thing about what MC just said is that this is the first year that they've actually created a category for. New England IPAs, and I, I was wondering whether, you know, they weren't a little bit too quick to, to that, um, you know, in, in, in wanting to be more reactive or more, or more you know, um, progressive uh, more quickly, um, that they may not have gone too quickly to the Neepers and whether in, you know, 18 months or two years' time, you know, it, it, it'll be a category without an entrant because it, it, it's such a trend-driven uh, style. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a real much. possibility that that will happen. So I'm I'm interested to see that too. Personally, I hope it doesn't. I lo- I love them. I think they're great. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether the entries that you received this year are going to sustain their numbers. Watch this space. Uh, we should jump straight <laughs> from neighbours into the mailbag. We uh, we got a great uh, email from Matt Hennessy, who is a former steward at the OBA. I think I think Prof. Am I thinking of the right Matt Hen- Hennessy? Uh, I think he may have done. Matt looked after us at uh, up at Beer Deluxe when we first started Absolutely the, did, yeah. um, the trade hub in the Brewers' Lounge. 
So he sent us a, a long, he's in Canada at the moment, so he sent us a long email that I'll just summarise. Um, he's really enjoyed uh, listening to Radio Brews News um, that he'd missed while travelling through the USA and Canada. He's currently working at the Collective Arts Brewery in Hamilton, Ontario. He said, it's been very interesting hearing about the industry news in Australia while working. Uh, it's interesting comparing the Canadian and the Australian and indeed the US perspectives. Um, he managed to get to over 60 breweries in the US last year on... Uh, Hearing you discuss issues surrounding government regulation of alcohol has made me think more about the challenges small breweries face and how that differs around the world. I found it interesting speaking to brewers here about these differences. For example, some of the Australian industry barriers that you've mentioned briefly in the past few weeks are the prevalence of tap contracts in venues and the high uh, excise that brewers are slapped with uh, on their products, as well as the lack of government assistance, obvious exceptions aside. This was sent before the recent uh, changes, obviously. While Canadians still complain about their beer taxes, I've still seen a fresh 473ml 8.5% ABV double IPA in a store for less than $4. However, there are additional barriers here, such as the Ontario government heavily regulating off-premise liquor sales to the point where only grocery stores and large government retailers can sell alcohol. Obviously, this limits the shelf space that these stores make available, and it's difficult for new breweries to get their beer on a shelf, and there are additional uh, contractual obligations that I won't go into. In contrast, though, beers here, uh, bars here have, and I told you I was going to bridge this, didn't I? But it's quite an interesting uh, article. In contrast, though, bars here, from what I have seen, don't seem to be contracted in their tap range as we do, and the prices are far lower, comparing that to the USA where they have very low excise on beer. Long story short, very, you know, you don't just have one difference um, between uh, different jurisdictions. Uh, it's not just tax. It's not just uh, contracts. It's not just retailers. And you can't re- when when people say beer is so much cheaper in country X, there's not just one thing that feeds into it. I like Matt's um, Matt's PS. Uh, PS, you probably don't need to mail a bar blade all the way to Canada. So what are we going to do with your six-pack? Well, yeah, we, we might have to hold it until uh, uh, until he gets back. Either until he gets back, or perhaps perhaps Matt uh, may be able to give us uh, somebody that he he would like us to, to donate, because it's unfair to ask Beer Cartel, to, who are good, great sponsors of the show, and the letter of the week to, <laughs> would you mind, you know, express post to, to Canada with a six-pack? Um, so perhaps Matt can... Uh, Indicate somebody who he, local who he'd like us to to give those to. That that was a great email. So uh, yeah, really, so and some really good insight into into the other markets because I'd I'd known that uh, you know the reason we don't get a lot of craft beer from Canada or you know independent beer from Canada is um, you know there were excise sort of uh, or barriers to to sending it over here versus it being less expensive over there. But uh, so it was that was very interesting from Matt. Thanks for that. Wonderful. So, uh, well, that, that's the end of another week. MC, are you heading down to Gabs uh, or could be a week? No, unfortunately, I won't be heading down this year. Um, I just haven't had been able to find the time. But uh, I went last year for the first time and I had an absolutely fantastic time. And I hope that everyone going is also going to have a wonderful time. The events look great. The guests look great. I'm very jealous I can't come. So I hope that everyone going there is going to very much enjoy themselves. I will be well, going to the Sydney Gabs, though. In, uh, oh, good. Of course. I was going to say, oh, we'll look forward to catching up there. Come and, come and visit us at um, the Brick Lane Brewing Co. Craft College. And also, and also, uh, this year, MC, I hope we can see you at, um, at BrewCon 18, which is going to be in Sydney. Absolutely, yes. I'm finding a way to get myself in there, whether that be a volunteering as a steward or just attending in some form. But yes, I'm very much trying to, to weasel my way in there. 
MC, just before we uh, do let you go and before Prof signs out, um, it would seem a shame to have, uh, I'm in Brisbane, Pete's in Melbourne, we do have James, uh, our regular, uh, our editor and regular Sydney uh, person, but what's what's exciting, give, give us a quick wrap of you know, what's exciting Sydney-wide. Well, the focus really is on Melbourne at the moment, isn't it, with Good Beer Week? I think Gabs is something that's really gaining traction up in Sydney. Uh, it wasn't only appeared the year after the Melbourne one, I think, something like that. Uh, and it's really growing. Uh, so that's exciting. I think the fact that BrewCon is being held here is also very exciting. I think we've somewhat had a little bit of a stall in the amount of breweries that are opening here, although I do know that Stockade is soon opening a barrel room in Merrickville, although I don't know of any dates there. But that seems to be uh, – people seem to be quite excited about that. Um, I know Wildflower is coming out with a lot of very interesting fruited beers. And I guess it's coming into stout season, so every brewery is going to start making all their delicious stouts again. But other than that, uh, I can't think of anything. I think the week's been exciting enough as is. <laughs> Fair enough. And we did put you on the spot there, so Yes, we did. Question without notice. No, that's all right. I, 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 as I said, it's one of my big hobbies, so if I should be able to answer that question, shouldn't I? I tout myself as a beer writer. Well, look, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on, and hopefully um, we can do this on a more regular basis. It was absolutely fantastic. Thanks for having me, and th- thank you for the very fascinating discussions that we've had today. Thanks very much as well, Matt, for joining us. Always a pleasure, Prof. I look forward to catching up with you um, very soon, um, as in in the next few days, uh, as Good Beer Week gets right into it uh, at the pointy end, and then uh, we co-host the Australian International Beer Awards Awards Dinner. Uh, presentation dinner on the Thursday and then um, Friday at Gabs you'll be wandering doing a little bit of Radio Brews News Live. Yeah, if you can't get to Gabs and you like uh, hearing us talk to brewers we are going to be doing on the hour just a a couple of quick four minute Facebook Live uh, chats with the people of Gabs. Um, We don't really know who we're going to speak to until we get there because we want to see what um, the, the best stands are, who the interesting people are, um, and you know, just grab really a. Uh, if you can't be at Gabs, we want to give you a taste of Gabs, um, and that's uh, proudly presented by Bintani. So thank you to the guys from Bintani for making that possible. Very much so, and uh, don't forget too that that'll be the day after the awards are announced. So we might even uh, be catching up with some trophy winners soon. Maybe some of those neepers that you were tasting, Prof. And Prof, uh, yeah, just very quickly while we're name checking sponsors. Last week I was lucky enough to be in Auckland, and I caught up with the wonderful Steph Howard from our very generous uh, sponsors, Cry Malt. And uh, you know, one of the things I did say to them is, look, you know, you sponsor the show. You know, we say welcome to Cry. You know, thanks to Cry Malt, and that's about it. Is there anything we can say? And, you know, Steph basically said, love what you guys do, love listening to it. You know, we just love making it possible. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a sign of an awesome sponsor when, you know, you're, you're begging them that we can say more about them. So I just wanted to say thank you very much uh, again to Crime Malt because uh, they, they, they really put no demands on us. Uh, they don't try and change the editorial uh, or anything. They just like us being out talking to great industry people and talking about the news. And uh, there's a lot to like about that. And we're out.